Going Postal Publishing, the Going Postal Cast, and Christopher Chapman present Incarceration, the serialized weekly podcast performed by the author, Christopher Chapman. For more information, visit www.goingpostalpublishing.com or email him at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. This podcast is not suitable for children. It has violence, gore, and lots and lots of naughty words. If you can't handle that, go somewhere else. And now, on with the story, or whatever other crap I decide to come up with. Chapter 36 Jason Rangel had never been this scared. When it came to him, that was really saying a lot. He was the man that stood toe-to-toe with the man that killed his parents nearly 16 years ago. That was scary, but couldn't hold a candle to what was happening now. The situation was terrifying. He was walking through nearly pitch-black conditions with a group of seven guards that he was pretty sure wanted to kill him. Sure, he had an old man to keep him company, but he was the man that had told him that vampires really existed and were invading the prison, trying to kill him. To make matters worse, they had probably already found out that he was at the prison and would soon be a target. Instead of waiting for that to happen, they volunteered to walk straight into the prison and directly towards them. Could it get any worse? He didn't think so, but he was wrong. At this time of night, the prison was designed to keep the lights dim to save power. The areas that didn't have high traffic had only a few lights on, casting large areas into shadows. They were walking through those areas on their way to wherever Clarence Hongiso's body was found. Jason's fear moved to an all-new level when the lights started to flicker. It wasn't bad at first, but it did slow their progress. The guards conferred with one another, trying to figure out what was going on. After some time, they started moving again, but with their flashlights held out. Two minutes later, the lights went out for good. Wait for the backup generator, one of the guards said. They stopped, waiting for the generator in the light of eight small flashlights. It was almost pitch black now. They couldn't see a damn thing. When another minute passed, it became evident that the generator wasn't coming on. We better keep going, another one of the guards said. I don't think that the generator's working. It has been a few years since it was tested. Jason thought about how typical that was for this place. They'd spent millions of the taxpayers' dollars over the years, making sure that everything was state-of-the-art and that the prisoners had no chance of escape. What they forgot to do was to make sure that some of the emergency equipment was up to date. Before they could take their first step, Jason became aware that they were being watched. He sensed that Matt was thinking the same thing. His knees were bent and he'd assumed a defensive posture. What exactly that posture could defend Matt from was a mystery to Jason. It seemed to him that if Matt were right about there being vampires inside the prison, a knuckle to the jaw would do little good. That brought his mind back to the question that had been plaguing him since this morning. If these were vampires, how were they supposed to defend themselves? Matt told him the only way that he knew of to kill them was to stab them through the heart with a stake. Where exactly were they going to find a wooden stake in a prison? It wasn't as though they had a wood shop to pick through. They had no way to defend themselves and were soon going to meet a very cruel end. Matt said he had a plan. Jason knew that he better get to that plan damn quick. Otherwise, they were all going to die. You see anything? 
Jason whispered as the first of the guards started walking. No, Matt said. There are at least two out there, maybe three. They've been circling us for the last three minutes. They're getting closer. I just don't know what the hell they're waiting for. A nudge in the back got them walking again. Jason wasn't about to let the conversation end just because they were walking with two guards directly behind them. He moved himself closer to Matt and whispered as quietly as he possibly could, hoping that the old man's hearing hadn't failed him. You going to let me in on this plan of yours? Jason asked. Few minutes, Matt said, looking straight ahead. If I tell you to run, you better damn well do it. If you don't, I will leave you behind. Do we understand each other? Yes, Jason said, knowing that Matt was telling the truth. He had no doubt that self-preservation was at the top of his list of priorities. I understand. Jason listened to his surroundings. There was something out there that Matt had sensed. It could have been a sound, a smell, or even a flicker of movement in the beam of a flashlight. Jason chose to listen, thinking that he would hear something. He had known that they were being watched, yet he didn't know how he really knew. It was as if he'd sensed their presence. Could it be his mother or father? An anxious feeling came over him, thinking that his mother or father could be nearby. At that exact moment, he believed that seeing them one more time would be worth dying for. Jason stared ahead and felt his body freeze. His mind had been so preoccupied with everything that was going on that it really hadn't sunk in just how dark it was. Up ahead, the darkness seemed to swallow everything. They were walking right into it. Their flashlights did little to eliminate it. Instead, it seemed to eat the light, turning it dark as well. They would be next. That's where the attack would occur. He couldn't do it, not for his mother and not for his father. What's wrong? One of the guards asked. He's afraid of the dark, Matt said for the second time, moving next to Jason and putting his hand on Jason's forearm. He was fine a second ago, the guard said. Have you seen just how dark it is up there? Matt asked, pointing. It's like the vacuum of space. He probably thinks that you'll kill him if he stops. Let me tell you something. This guy is terrified, and he still tries to carry on. While Matt was talking, Jason heard something to their right. He tried to look that way, but found that he was suddenly stiff as a board. Even his eyes no longer wanted to move. What happened? He'd been doing so well. It felt as if the darkness were crushing him, cutting off his oxygen. He couldn't breathe. I think we may have to go back, Matt said. Does anybody know if the medic is on duty tonight? One of the men laughed. Jason couldn't tell which one. We're moving ahead with or without him, one of them said. He won't like it very much if he gets left behind. Neither will you. He was talking to Matt. You'll probably be carrying the body. Everything seemed to tighten even more. Having heard the guards admit that they were going to kill him added to the problem. He didn't want to die, at least not by their hands. He decided that if he were going to go out, it would be by his own terms. This didn't exactly qualify as that. Do you think you can move? Matt asked, putting his face in Jason's. He whispered in mouth, Get ready to move. Jason didn't know if he could. It felt as if his legs had been dipped in cement, then stuck to the floor with cement glue. He didn't think he was going anywhere. Another noise to the right startled him. Others noticed this time. Jason turned his eyes to the right, moving them all the way into the corners. 
All he saw was darkness, but the darkness was moving. Flashlights moved, showing something that stopped Jason's heart. No, it wasn't his mother or father. It wasn't even the beast that had killed them. What he saw in front of them was a young boy. The kid must have been eight or nine years old. He staggered forward, blood dripping from a mouth that had teeth that were too large. The other men seemed to soften at the sight of this abomination, but Jason felt nothing but fear. This kid looked almost exactly the same as the beast that killed his parents. He wanted it dead, but thought that there was no way he could ever kill a child. Matt was looking at the child as well. There was an obvious look of concern on his face. His gaze shifted, looking all around. Jason attempted to follow that gaze, to see what Matt saw, but found nothing but more darkness. He sensed that there was something else in that darkness, creeping out of the shadows towards them. When they start shooting, run back the way we came, Matt said, grabbing hold of Jason by the shirt. The child kept moving forward. He lurched more than walked. It looked as if it was the child's first day on his new legs. Jason felt his heart break for what the child must have endured to end up this way. The only thing he could hope for was that the child was sleeping when it happened. He thought of the way he used to sleep as a child and how he remembered it that first night after his parents died. Maybe this boy was like he was. It was possible that he hid under the covers, believing that the monster in his closet couldn't see him. The monster did get him this time. Jason's heart ached with pain for the child whose ultimate fear came to life before him. Even the pain didn't release the darkness's death grip on him. He remained planted as the child came within five feet of the lead guard. The guard, who was likely signing his own death warrant, had lowered his gun to his side. Jason wanted to warn him, but found that his lips had been glued shut as well. He was too scared to scream. The boy seemed to fall his legs bending below him at the knees. Jason knew better than that. His legs bent because of what came next. His legs in the proper position, he leaped forward, his mouth opening wide. The guard didn't have the chance to yell out in surprise before the boy opened his teeth-filled jaws and brought them down on the guard's neck. He dropped to the ground as the boy landed on his feet with a large, bloody piece of meat dangling from his mouth. He was chewing at the guard's throat, as if it were a serving of pork. The remaining six guards shouted in surprise, raising their weapons. Guns fired, filling Jason's ears with a deafening echo that hurt his inner ear. Matt pulled at him, trying to get him to move. Jason wasn't going anywhere. He was far too scared. Matt reappeared in Jason's view and said, If you don't come with me, we're both going to die in the next 30 seconds. Jason understood what Matt was saying, but had become mesmerized by the way the bullets ripped into the small boy's body. There wasn't as much blood as Jason had expected, but large holes opened up on the kid's body. A bullet hit him on the side of the head, ripping open a large section of skin and bone. Jason stared ahead, swearing that he could see part of the kid's brain. It had become hard to tell. Some of the flashlights had been tossed to the ground. Now! Matt shouted over the sound of the guns, pulling even harder. A slap across Jason's face finally got to him. He blinked, feeling the weight in his legs lessen than leave. He found that he could move again. Was it anger towards what Matt had done to him? He really didn't have the time to think about it. All hell had broken loose around him, and Matt thought they had 30 seconds. More than 20 had already gone by. Matt tugged one last time. Jason followed. They ran, 
entering the darkness. The flashlight forgotten, he couldn't see where they were going, and he'd expected to take a bullet in the back by now. That hadn't happened as the sound of the gunshots became further away with each step. There were fewer guns firing now. Some had run out of bullets and were reloading, or maybe they were already dead. The primitive roar of something that was no longer human made Jason's blood run cold. He would have turned around, but he knew that doing that would erase all of the courage he had left. He was barely able to do this. He wasn't taking any chances that he could lose whatever little bravery he had left. Instead, Jason kept looking forward. They were running down a corridor so dark that he couldn't see Matt, even though he was less than two feet in front of him and still had a grip on his arm. How was Matt able to know where they were going? Jason couldn't see a thing, and yet he was running at full speed, moving left and right as if he could see everything. He thought they were getting away. When the gunfire stopped, but the roaring continued, he was no longer as confident. When the next roar seemed closer, he believed that they were going to die. It was less than a hundred yards behind them and gaining ground. Chapter 37 One by one, people walked into the electric fence. They should have all been dead, yet they kept coming, climbing the wall and moving over the fence. Warden Scott Yamry gagged as the smell of burnt clothing and flesh filled the air. It was a stench that made him want to vomit. He bent over, trying to unload his lunch. Nothing came up. He marveled at the way the intruders moved. Smoke rose from their bodies, their clothing burst into flames, and their skin shredded against the barbed wire. All of the things that should have kept them out didn't. They were relentless in their mission to get over the fence and into the yard. The first of the intruders got through, touching down on the grass of the yard. They moved like zombies, staggering forward on feet that seemed to barely keep them upright. Another intruder touched down, then another. They kept coming. The power grid was taking a serious hit. He didn't know how much longer it would be able to hold up. He hoped that the backup generators would hold up if called into action. He stared at the countless charred bodies as they continued moving towards the prisoners. Many of the inmates attempted to retreat, but there was nowhere to go. The guards surrounded them and didn't seem to be phased by what was happening. Many had taken positions, aiming their weapons in the direction of the oncoming men and women. They waited for the order. They wanted to shoot first and ask questions later. Scott didn't blame them. He found himself touching his own gun, pulling it from its holster and caressing the cold steel in his hands. He held the bullhorn in one hand and the gun in the other. He opened his mouth to speak, but no words came out as the lights went out. Shit, he thought. They blew the system. Now they have an easy access into the prison. Guns fired and people screamed. Exactly who was screaming, he didn't know. The screams were blood-curdling. Every hair stood up on his body as he wanted more than anything to not be in the prison at that moment. He wanted to be home, with his wife and daughter. He wanted a different job, any would do. He could see himself being a greeter at Walmart. He saw himself doing anything but what he was doing. It was as if he was living in a nightmare. He wanted out. Something was running towards him. He heard footsteps on the gravel path that led to his location. He aimed his gun in the general direction and fired. The bullhorn forgotten, he pulled his flashlight from his belt and aimed it in the direction of where he'd fired. The flashlight's beam moved over the body of a prisoner. 
a small hole was visible on his left cheek. His right cheek had become an exit wound. He used the flashlight to scan his surroundings. Prisoners ran in every direction, running into each other and even the intruders. Scott watched in horror as the intruders opened their mouths to unveil large, sharp teeth. They sunk their teeth into the prisoners one by one, tearing their throats out. Blood sprayed in every direction, covering the intruders as well as the prisoners. A sudden realization hit Scott that was so unbelievable he could barely comprehend it. He watched as these things sliced open the throats of their victims, creating injuries that were very similar to those found on Clarence's body, not to mention the people that Jason Rangel had supposedly murdered. The pieces came together like a puzzle, forming a hypothesis in his mind. Was he actually trying to tell himself that these things were responsible for the murder of Clarence Hongisto? Was he also trying to convince himself that these things had somehow framed Jason Rangel, or that Jason was one of them? He'd seen Jason's teeth. They looked nothing like what he was seeing now. The sad truth was that Scott didn't know what to think. Everything was so confusing to him. An intruder approached from his left. It was a young man, 17 at the oldest. Blood covered him from his nose down. His eyes glowed in the flashlight. They were fluorescent and menacing. He approached Scott with a bloody, toothy grin that said, You're going to die. He didn't want to die. He aimed his pistol and pulled the trigger. The bullet entered through the teenager's forehead and came out the back of his skull. He staggered backwards and fell. He landed with a sickening thud as what was left of his skull made contact with the gravel. Serves you right, asshole, Scott called to the body. He felt good. That was one less of the intruders. The body twitched, catching Scott's attention. He looked down, wondering if it was some sort of spasm brought on by the destruction of the kid's brain. He twitched again. His legs were moving. Slowly, the teenager started moving again, trying to get back to his feet. That was impossible. Scott was looking directly at the wound. That bullet tore through his brain and came out the back. There was no way he could have survived that. He became convinced that this teenager wasn't really human. He was something else. Something evil. Scott moved forward as the teenager struggled to get back to his feet. Scott aimed the gun, placing it less than five inches away from the teenager's mouth. He squeezed the trigger. The teenager's extra-large teeth exploded into a hundred fragments, moving out in all directions. Some of the pieces lodged themselves in the teenager's face, others in his body. A fragment struck Scott in the left shoulder. He grimaced, looking down at where it hurt. He couldn't see the actual wound. It was in shadow, and he wasn't about to take the flashlight off the teenager, even though he'd fallen to the ground again and lied still. Scott waited patiently for about 15 seconds, hoping that he'd finish the job. Nobody could have been as surprised as he was when the boy moved once more. What do I have to do to keep you down? Scott asked, unloading the rest of his clip into the teenager's chest. The teenager howled out in pain, but wouldn't die. He was invincible to everything Scott had thrown at him. Scott popped the clip and put in a fresh one. He intended to use every bullet he had if it would increase his chances of living. He turned to his right and saw a sergeant lying on the ground less than 15 feet away. His throat was missing. He was dead. To his right, less than 10 inches from the body, was a shotgun. The teenager was almost back to his feet. There was little time. Scott moved quickly taking the short distance in less than five seconds. He reached down, picking up the shotgun. 
He turned, aiming both the shotgun and the flashlight as he moved forward. The teenager was approaching with a blank stare on his face. Scott didn't consider him much of a threat anymore. His teeth were little more than white nubs in a mouth that wasn't more than shredded skin. Despite that, he wouldn't rest until he'd done something that could kill this... whatever the fuck he was. He positioned the barrel about a foot away from the teenager's head and pulled the trigger, hoping that this would do the trick. The shotgun smashed hard against his shoulder, luckily his good shoulder, as the teenager's head disappeared from his body. Everything above the chin was gone, probably a splatter of skin and blood in the darkness. The teenager took two more steps, making Scott think that even this didn't do the job. Then he dropped to both knees. The body convulsed once, then twice, then dropped to the ground chest first and became still. The teenager did not try getting back up. He was dead. Scott pumped his left fist, letting the flashlight beam leave the body for just a moment. This was as close to a celebration as he could muster. It hurt to move his left shoulder, even just a little. He knew how to kill them. All he needed to do was... Death. What the fuck was that? Where did that word come from? He looked around at the chaos. Inmates were falling right and left to these things. Blood ran like a river, turning the yard's once lush green grass into a stained, ripped blanket of death. Monsters, some looking more beast than human, were killing everything and everybody in their path. Death. There was that word again. Who could have said it? Nobody but the occasional intruder paid him any attention, and that was usually diverted as another inmate accidentally ran past them. Scott moved up behind an intruder, pointing the shotgun at the back of her head. He pulled the trigger and watched as her head exploded. The inmate she was stalking dropped as well. Small flecks of blood appeared on his body from small holes brought on by the errant spray of the shotgun blast. What killed him, however, was the tooth that stuck out of his left eye. Blood trickled down from his socket, running down his cheek like a single bloody tear. He looked for somebody else. Death ass! He stopped. What the hell was going on here? Where were those words coming from? For the first time, he considered the idea that they may have been coming from within his own mind. He shuddered at the thought. That was impossible, or was it? He looked around at what he saw. Already, more than a hundred of his inmates were dead or dying at the hands of two dozen of these intruders, half of which were charred and broken themselves. These things weren't human, at least that is to say, not anymore. Whatever they had become, it was about as far from human as he could possibly believe. Sure, they still had death ass, human features, but whatever was inside them, whatever it was that made them who or what they were now, was more animalistic than any human could ever be. He knew what these things reminded him of, and that was some seriously scary thoughts. They reminded him of Dracula. The thought should have been laughable, but here he was giving it some serious thought. They were tearing out people's throats for God's sakes, using their teeth as weapons. No, they weren't siphoning the blood out of a person with two small puncture holes, but this was as close to a vampire as he could believe without them turning into bats although he'd seen one turn into a dog-like creature. These things exhibited characteristics that were far from human. Aside from the fact that these things were nearly indestructible, he'd seen intruders rip prisoners in half using nothing but their hands. Others jumped as if they were as nimble as cats. 
A few had come over the fence in a single jump. Death ass! He didn't know what to do. They were nearly indestructible. Even the woman he'd just blown most of the head off of was still trying to move around. She was largely unsuccessful, but tried nonetheless. These things were relentless. They didn't stop until they had killed their prey or had been killed themselves. As far as he knew, only the one had died so far. Scott continued working the flashlight, trying to find a way out. He felt the keys in his front left pocket, calling out to him. The keys would let him in or out of any door in the facility. That was good, seeing as he would have to pass through a locked door to get out of the yard. He studied the possible pass, trying to find one that would be easiest to travel. He wanted to avoid these things if he could. Seeing as it was extremely difficult to kill them, he wanted to increase his odds of survival. Death ass. The latest barrage of words into his brain made him wonder if this was all going to be for naught. His shoulder hurt like a bitch. There was likely a piece of tooth stuck in there. That made him think back to the scary movies he'd seen as a child. Vampires could turn you into a vampire. That's what all the movies and books wanted you to believe. One thing was certain. The words in his head hadn't been there before the tooth struck him in the shoulder. An idea filled his mind, drowning out the latest two-word phrase. It was poisoning his mind. He could stop it by cutting out the chunk of wood. Without hesitation, he dropped the shotgun and pulled a small knife from his belt. He extended the blade and quickly dug it into his shoulder. He screamed in agony as the blade cut through his flesh. He dug through his own shoulder, trying to get the tip underneath the tooth fragment. When he finally had, he pressed down on the knife handle, using the leverage to pry it out. He screamed in agony as his skin resisted, stretching outward. He heard a ripping sound. It only took a moment to realize that it was his skin that was ripping. He dropped to the ground. The tooth dropped next to him. Relief filled him. He'd removed the tooth. Would that be enough to stop whatever was happening to him? He would have to wait to find out. Death ass. No, 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 no. It couldn't be. It was still there and was getting louder. The voice in his mind continued gaining strength, invading section after section of his mind. He felt the invasion happening. He was aware of everything that was happening to him, and now he knew that it was only a matter of time before all of him was gone. He, Scott Yamry, was being erased. There was only one more thing to do. Being in charge of a prison that had a long tradition of keeping things quiet left him with some of the hardest decisions to make. One of those was the contingency plan if there was ever a situation in which the prison had been overrun. The plan had been put in place by men believing that the inmates could overthrow the guards. That wasn't the case here, but the solution was exactly what they needed. His men were already dead or dying. Using the contingency plan wouldn't affect the outcome. All it would do was prevent the intruders from succeeding in whatever their plan was. He dropped the flashlight. He listened as it smashed against the gravel. The light flickered, then died. He used his free hand to fish into his pocket. At first, he didn't find what he was looking for. He kept rummaging, feeling multiple keys. The keys had given him a brief moment of hope not all that long ago. Now that he knew he was going to die, they didn't matter so much. Underneath the keys, he found what he was looking for. He pulled his cell phone from his pocket and turned it on. He searched for the number he needed on the touchscreen. He scrolled through dozens of numbers before finding the right one. 
He placed his finger on the number and placed the phone to his ear. He listened for the ring, but it never came. After 15 seconds, he removed the phone and looked at the screen. In the upper left corner of the screen, where there should have been four or five bars, was the message, No service. What the fuck? Scott snarled. Something must have happened to the tower. In all of the years he'd owned a cell phone, he'd never experienced the no-service message while at the prison. The intruders must have gone to great lengths to make sure that nobody could call out. They wanted the inmates to themselves. The plan was supposedly foolproof. Nothing was supposed to go wrong. In the event of an overrun, a number was supposed to be called. That telephone number was a direct line to the Sturgeon Air Force Base near Sturgeon Bay. Like Lipsky Swamp, there weren't too many people who were aware of Sturgeon Air Force Base. Its location was secret, but its weapons weren't. When Scott called, they were to send two planes over the prison. Each plane would be equipped with enough missiles to destroy much of the prison, if not erase it completely. Together, they would eradicate the prison and everybody within a hundred yards of the prison. Scott had never had a problem with that plan. He'd always planned on being as far away from the prison as he possibly could when the missiles came. He hadn't counted on a lack of cell phone signal, especially when he needed it. Now there was no other choice. He looked around the prison yard, saw all of the death, and wondered where it had all gone wrong. He could feel himself becoming someone, something else. He felt himself losing control of his body and thoughts little by little. It wouldn't be long before he was either dead or crazy. He wouldn't, couldn't, allow this change to happen. Nobody could control Warden Scott Yamry. Nobody! He scanned the yard, at least what he could see of it. There weren't many prisoners still moving. More than 200 prisoners had met their untimely end at the hands and teeth of a few dozen intruders. As he walked, he felt the warm, sticky blood. He couldn't walk too far without accidentally ramming his toes into the side of a fallen prisoner. Death has come. He didn't know what that message meant, and he really didn't want to find out. He had decided what he should do. He turned the shotgun around and held it with the barrel pointing at his face. He opened his mouth and placed the tip of the barrel into his mouth. His teeth scraped against the metallic surface. A single tear rolled down his face. Not for him. He was prepared for death. He was more worried for his family, even though he could no longer remember what they looked like or what their names were. He wondered if he would remember them in the afterlife, if there really were life after death. He closed his eyes and pulled the trigger. He never heard the click of an empty shotgun. When his eyes opened again, he wasn't Warden Scott Yamry. A new Scott stared upwards at the sky. The dark clouds were giving way to a large, full moon that was visible through the blanket of trees. It had never looked so beautiful. You've been listening to the Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012, Going Postal Publishing. <laughs>